Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Square, the owners of Cash App, recently announced that they're buying Afterpay, the ever-growing buy-now-pay-later service. This acquisition is a big deal. The company's paying $29 billion in stock and will likely integrate the service into Cash App in the near future. That means that soon it could be easier than ever for the app's 70 million users to pay for everyday items in installments. That sounds like a pretty good deal, right? But the buy now, pay later model can be risky. Fox's Terry Nguyen has been looking into services like Afterpay, and she's heard from shoppers who use it. I asked her to tell us more about the risks and potential benefits. Terry's here to join us. Hey, Terry. Hey, Adam. So let's talk about these buy now, pay later services. How are they different from one another? Yeah, so um, buy now, pay later is exactly what it sounds like, although they're kind of grouped into this large umbrella. They're generally point of sale services that allow shoppers to split a purchase across several payments. So there are ones like Affirm, typically used for bigger purchases like furniture or Peloton bikes, and they usually require some sort of credit checks and might charge interest. But then among general shoppers, there are smaller pay-and-for services like Afterpay, uh, Klarna or Sezzle, QuadPay. These services don't charge interest and they don't often report to credit bureaus and they're usually applied for purchases under $100 or so for, you know, anything from retail, clothes, shoes, and makeup, things like that. And why does it seem like so many of them are popping up now? So these services have existed for some time now. But since more people have been shopping online since the pandemic, it's helped a company like Afterpay, for example, infiltrate the retail market by partnering with brand name stores and also like smaller merchants like Shopify stores. A lot of these services have also been popularized uh, through TikTok. There's a huge trend to talk about how great Afterpay is, for example. And it allows a lot of young people to kind of feel like they're spending less and hold on to the money they have in their bank account while buying just larger orders. Right. There's this idea that shoppers get a lot more control over their money with these services, and that seems to be a driving factor behind Square's acquisition of Afterpay. Square CEO Jack Dorsey, yes, that's the same Jack Dorsey as the Twitter Jack Dorsey. He said when the acquisition was announced that he made Cash App to make finances, quote, more fair, accessible, and inclusive. And he says he bought Afterpay because the two companies share the same vision. Terry, you've actually spoken with shoppers that use Afterpay. Would you say they feel like they have more control over their money? So most of the shoppers I spoke with are, you know, Gen Z, they're in their teens or early 20s, and they say that they feel less guilty when they buy something um, just because they're spending less money at the moment. But they are aware that they're still spending money. And so this question of control is hard to answer. Like someone told me that they recently were able to double their credit line on Afterpay from $600 to $1,200. But at the same time, this is a great extension for them. They can buy more, but they feel like they're stuck in a constant cycle of repayment. 
And, you know, there's this general concern about the popularity of these services, particularly when it comes to young people or low-income folks, is that it could be predatory and encourage shoppers to take on more debt than they can afford or pay off. Of course, you know, these are just general risks with anything related to credit cards or any credit services like auto loans or any product that encourages people to buy things they can't afford. But the general concern is that it's very popular among online retail stores, and that specifically applies to a certain demographic of people. I actually used one of these services for the first time during the pandemic, and I did it sort of just to figure out if it was too good to be true. Like there was no interest. I did some research on that and found out that what these services are offering isn't exactly the legal definition of a loan. And so they don't face the same sort of regulatory scrutiny that, say, like a mortgage broker would. And, you know, it really reminded me of this older concept from retail, which is layaway. Layaway shoppers could put a deposit on a big purchase, then pay for it installments before taking it home. But this kind of flips that idea on its head. First, you get the item, and then you pay for it. Again, it does sound kind of too good to be true. And I wonder if the government isn't catching on to this and thinking about maybe some regulations. In your reporting, Terry, you mentioned that these services are still largely unregulated. Is that right? At least in the U.S., um, for the most part, the founders of Afterpay would claim that the service is a budgeting tool instead of, you know, describing it as a short-term uh, lending service. Australian and European lawmakers have, however, taken steps to better regulate these providers. But in the U.S., at least under, you know, certain consumer finance regulations like the Truth in Lending Act, um, it really doesn't apply, as you mentioned, as a loan. So there hasn't been a significant crackdown yet. However, while the government hasn't gotten explicitly involved, uh, there are definitely banking companies thinking about putting up barriers. Uh, Capital One, for example, has banned uh, third-party buy-now-pay-later transactions on their cards. And even some credit card companies like Chase started offering a version of their own buy-now-pay-later. Customers can log on to the Chase app and opt in to split a maybe like $200 purchase four ways, but that's something they have to choose to opt into. So, you know, these banking companies are definitely seeing buy now, pay later as potential competition and acknowledging how they're sort of disrupting these traditional pathways of taking on debt. In any case, it does sound like buy now, pay later is really blowing up. So it makes sense that Square would want to get in on the trend and Afterpay in particular seems like a good choice for them. They already come with six and a half million users in the U.S., millions more abroad. They're partnered with over 100,000 merchants worldwide. So, Terry, what do you think? What does the future look like for Buy Now, Pay Later? So a lot of financial banking experts I spoke with believe that there's plenty of market potential for growth. A Bank of America report recently predicted that this space globally, not just in the U.S., could process up to, you know, a trillion dollars a year by 2025, which is you know, 10 to 15 times uh, the current market. But uh, some people are also um, worried that the popularity of these services have been overestimated and that there's only a select group of consumers who are opting in to split their payments time and time again. A survey last year found that only 7% of consumers sought to split their payments. And, you know, some providers are realizing that uh, they might have to diversify their offerings. They can't maybe stick solely to retail. 
Some are considering an expansion into, you know, sectors where consumers frequently make big ticket expensive purchases, such as, you know, travel, home improvement. And um, in Australia, there's a move towards even healthcare. Well, I can certainly see buy now, pay later services sticking around in the U.S. where it has always been sort of a tradition to buy things we can't afford and then figure out how to pay for it. Terry, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to Rico Daily. My name is Adam Clark Estes. This episode was produced by Alan Rodriguez Espinosa and engineered by Melissa Ponce from Hemlock Street Productions. Let us know what you want to learn more about by emailing us at ricodaily at recode.net.